Namo tatsa bhagavato arahato thamma sambuddhasa namo tatsa bhagavato arahato thamma sambuddhasa namo tatsa bhagavato arahato thamma sambuddhasa Aparuta de Sangamatata Taura, ye Sodavanta Bamunjandu Satang. So after the Buddha announced that the gates to the deathless are open for those who can pay attention, listen, uh, and surrender, or these words like surrender, uh, let go. Uh, the renunciation, um, words that convey um, an act of trust in something that isn't isn't like a uh, something you can hold to as a kind of material guarantee. So in the moment, we're bringing always attention, paying attention to the to the present, and the with the breath, with the body, the the mental states, and we're trans translating this in terms of dhamma, and in, when we talk about the dhamma, where this is this is in contrast to say the ignorant worldly view of self, because uh, they, they were. We're all conditioned, culturally programmed, to think of ourselves and interpret experience on a, on a very in a very personal way or cultural way. <coughs> so we're identified with with uh, very much in terms of a, being a personality, being member of a of a group, of a family, of a ethnic uh, identity, a culture, a tribe. Um, a civilization, a nation, a class, a race, gender, all these things are are conditioned out of the cultural condition, what you get when you're born, and you, you're kind of, uh, these, these identities are instilled in you. And so we experience life through this, through this cultural conditioning, which is based on the illusion of a, of a kind of permanent self-force, there's a separateness, a soul that is separate. But when we talk about Dhamma, then we're talking about the way it is, and, and then you're dividing it into the condition and the unconditioned. So the Buddha was pointing to, to the, on the grand scale, he wasn't pointing to the conditions, endlessly uh, kind of shuffling through the conditions, uh, as a, as a trying to find the very best of the conditioned world to take refuge in. Nor was he pointing to the unconditioned as some kind of uh, state that we seek in order to just uh, throw away the condition. It's not a choosing one over the other, the conditioned over the unconditioned, but but awakening to the relationship of the condition to the unconditioned. So that takes uh, panya or wisdom and this awakeness to, to observe this in a direct way, direct knowledge. 
So in this moment, you know, we can say, what do I know definitely? I know that the body's like this. I know that there's the breath. And there's the sound of silence. I can hear that. There's, I can see, there's sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, uh, emotion, feeling, and as it, as it, one begins to notice, just the, the, say, the state of sensitivity, the feeling, the ability to feel things through this form. Or the, uh, the thinking, or the mood of the mind, the state of mind as it is now. And, we're, and since it's not judgmental, it's merely a knowing of the way it is. It, it's, it's, not, it's not making some kind of value judgment about the state of mind we're in, but recognizing it's like this. It's impermanent. All conditions are impermanent. And they're not self. They're anatta. Which takes us to the realization of the unconditioned, or the deathless, or the unborn, uncreated. And so the, this, uh, this, uh, this, this kind of knowledge is what this is Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. You can see that, that Buddhism is placed on a, on a universal uh, scale. It's, uh, the Buddha called it the elephant's footprint because uh, the elephant has the biggest footprint of any animal in the jungle and all other footprints can fit inside the elephants. So everything fits into this, the Dhamma. Everything you can think of, every Condition, convention, creation can be seen in terms of Dhamma, including all religions, modern science, uh, ancient history, all experience, uh, good or bad, uh, the realms of, uh, of the angels and the devas or the devils and the demons, the animal world, everything's included in this Dhamma. The condition, the unconditioned. So it is a matter of, of really uh, developing that kind of awareness. It's not, it's uh, and, and informing oneself. It's a matter of continuously kind of reminding oneself because. It's so easy to fall back into the old self-view. I am this person, and and I am, uh, and what I think, and what I feel, and what my emotions, and the world, the the, the world view that we all have as a as a condition from our cultural background. So being a, a human being then, uh, this, this human birth, this human state, is, is that we, we're in this reflective state of awareness. 
and this direct knowing then of, of, of the way it is. And it's not like knowing everything about everything. It's not like God where you know everything, all the conditions, all variations and uh, permutations on conditioned phenomena, and the ultimate meaning and the, and the grand plan and everything else. We can't know that, yeah. but we can know this much. We can know the way it is the conditioned and the unconditioned. And when we have that knowledge, then we can, we, we incline towards relinquishing and letting go of the conditioned views and opinions. There's something in us responds to that. There's no point in, in perpetuating ignorance and by attaching and, and just getting caught up in the, in the, conditions of your body and mind anymore, which is not a, is not getting rid of them, but it's, it's a no longer identifying, no longer believing in them the way that you believe before you actually saw them in terms of the Dhamma. It's a kind of maturity, isn't it, where you, you grow up, you, you can't play the games that you played when you were a child. playing with dolls, with toys, with things like this. It, that's, that's normal and skillful behavior at a certain age, but then you grow up beyond that. You can't, no way can you go back and do that again in the same way you did when you were a child. Why? Because you've, you've seen through it. You no longer believe. You no longer can, can believe in the game. Now we have to recognize our own cultural conditioning, the kind of way things are. Like, like the Dhamma, Buddha Dhamma tracks people from, from all over the, the world. It's not just a, an, an Asian religion or, or, a, or just, a, you know, just a, a few Western, modern Western countries suddenly find it fashionable to study Buddhism or practice meditation. It's speaking on much more. It's, it reaches a, something in us that, that uh, is beyond just fashion or, or, or momentary interest. Because it's, it's, uh, it's uh, one, you give, we get letters from all over, from countries and in, in, uh, from places that you wouldn't imagine anyone would have cared or even known or been interested in Buddhism, Buddhist meditation. Because there is something in it that, that we, we sense, we intuit as, as uh, something that uh, is real and true. Then in meditation itself, 
we have skillful means that we ha- we need to develop. I mean, you have to know what kind of character you have. And for for many for many of us in the Western world, because we are brought up in such a critical uh, culture, where the where the conditioning, the education is very much one based on on discrimination on ideas, ideals, and discriminative thought. So that we, we develop a strong critical mind, uh, which destroys, but oftentimes we, we don't come to Buddhism through a real faith uh, in devotion, but through an interest in the, in the, the more kind of psychological process of meditation. We, we, int- we find it intellectually interesting and attractive. It's how the majority of Western people uh, come into Buddhism through reading books. We're not born into Buddhist, into Buddhist culture, they're Buddhist parents. So it's not a part of our cultural heritage at all. Some of you are from Asian, from uh, Buddhist uh, countries where it's part of your whole cultural outlook. So that's to me a great advantage that it's part of a, you know, it's kind of underlying your culture. It's kind of connected to your cultural condition. But for the Western, Western people, our culture isn't Buddhist. So, so that we have to deal with certain problems like lack of Sadda or faith, and being very critical, having a lot of negativity towards ourselves, towards uh, the world we live in. We're very conscious of what's wrong, what we don't like, what, uh, you know, we're we're very quick to, to, to notice what is wrong with something, with ourselves, with somebody else, with whatever. So we have a lot of negativity, way of relating, reacting to life through, through uh, going into states of doubt and depression and despair and, and, uh, and uh, just seeing uh, doubt is one of the, one of the great uh, obstruction. If you don't have a lot of faith, if faith or sanda is not strong, then constantly thrown into a state of being insecure, unsure, uncertain. But I think this also happens in uh, Asian countries, in Buddhist, uh, because uh, like uh, doubt is the fifth hindrance, which kicha in in the in the Buddhist teaching, it is a it is a hindrance. One of the skillful means d- to develop in terms of of say to to counterbalance this negative tendency is to develop the metta pavana or the Meditation on loving kindness. 
and this uh, metta is a is a is a is an attitude of mind in which we, which is uncritical. We're not developing. We're not. We're not dwelling on what's wrong. We're not. We may see something. We, it doesn't mean we're blind and we don't see that there's something wrong. But we're not, say, uh, making a problem about it or or making that our main interest. Metta is an inclusive. It it includes everything. The flaw is is also with except with metta, the snake as well as uh, as the garden and the worm, uh, we have metta for the worm as well as for the apple. Uh, we have metta for the demons, the devils, the mosquitoes, the flies, uh, illness, sickness, uh, all the kind of uh, ugly, nasty unlovable, unlikable, irritating uh, things in their most extreme forms as well as just the, 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 just the, the feeling of insecurity or the, the doubting state of mind. Have metta even towards this, your own doubting tendencies. So metta, what it does if, if, if developed is it gives you, it, it it, it's the way you relate to the, to the whole, to the totality of existence. It's through a kind of patient acceptance, non-criticalness towards all conditioned phenomena, all sentient beings, everything, both internally in your own uh, mind, your own personal scenarios, habits, emotions, as well as everything in the universe. So in metta practice, we usually say, may I abide in well-being. You start with yourself, having metta for, for this being. May I abide in well-being. You know, well-being, a sense of being well, of being positive, of, of, of not being critical. Even if, even if the, what you're experiencing, even to have metta even for your uh, pain or for your, if you're sick or, or for your failures or uh, despair. Metta is, is a way of, of accepting and embracing and being patient and not being critical, not dwelling in aversion. Now I apply this a lot to to a lot of, uh, especially towards myself, and the, and I still do. Is I find this a very uh, uh, useful way of practice because there is a tendency to be, say, uh, self-critical or to resist a lot of mental state. So, like being a Buddhist monk, for example, and you, you, uh, you know, your intentions are good. You want to be a good person. You want to be a good monk. You want to. I want to. Uh, you know, on the ideal level, I'm. I would like to become a very good Buddhist monk. But then, 
in terms of uh, experience here and now, some of the mental states are not good at all that one can experience. So, so in, and especially in the early years, when you're ca- when you're coming out of a kind of a very indulgent, selfish, uh, and undisciplined lifestyle into monasticism, you you know you you find your uh, you have to bear with some rather uh, unpleasant, unwanted, uh, disagreeable, painful mental states, emotional states, and physical pain, restlessness. And so the, the tendency then is to, to try to, uh, to get rid of them, you know, like anger, for example. Uh, a good, you know, ideal monk shouldn't, shouldn't be angry, should, should be uh, kind and shouldn't get angry or show anger. That is, that's how I would say interpret in, in the beginning. So then when anger would arise, I, you know, I tend to want to suppress it deny it or hold it back. And then I realized that metta for this anger was important because that whole way of resisting anger, of trying to get rid of it, seemed to perpetuate it. So the more I tried to get rid of it and deny it and control it and, and that, the more angry I became. And uh, it seemed, you know, one felt hopeless in terms of, uh, you know, of, of just the, and the struggle with this, with a, with an emotion, a fairly common emotion like anger. And then, but then the idea, then the practice of metta, I found useful, which was instead of resisting, controlling, uh, resenting, hating myself for having this emotion, I began to have. Is practice metta for this anger because it's a kind, it's a sentient state, it's a sentient being in its own right. It arises and it ceases. Anger is is uh, is something that I can observe. And when the anger arises, I know it. I can feel it arising. I know it when it's when it's present in my mind. When I feel this angry mood uh, in my in my mind, I can observe it like this. And when it ceases, I'm aware when it, when, it, when it ceases, when it's gone. So then by reflecting on in terms of Dhamma, you see the impermanence and the, and the anicca and the anatta of anger. And in order to do that, your relation, my relationship was one of metta, which is total acceptance, embracing this feeling just the way it is, without any any conditions placed on it, like unconditional love. Metta is like unconditional love. So then I found when I accepted this unconditionally for what it is, and then it then it would drop away with the na- natures to cease. And I began to to then this problem of anger and resistance to it and con- wanting to control and wanting to and then feeling uh, inadequate and hating myself for giving into it and 
all that started fading out and became less and less of a problem because I developed a skillful means using this metta bhavana. Well, it works both for your own moods and and uh, thoughts and feelings and experiences as well as towards others. Living in a family, living in community. They hear Amravati, the, the, the developing of metta, is learning to, to not dwell on the, what's wrong with the members of this community, not making an issue and building it up into a, something, you know, something that becomes a problem. Because when you're living with people and there's always conflict of some sort, irritation, frustration, misunderstanding, projections of all sorts. Community life is a, is a, is a real uh, purification because it, it, uh, your, your, your own kind of, uh, you're always feeling kind of irritated and frustrated by the people you're living with. And also in, in a community like, like, say, like here in the West where it's so international, you're dealing with, with the people from all over the world, different cultural expectations, different ways of thinking, different ways of relating or reacting to things. They have like the, just the difference between, say, Americans and, and the British or the Australians and the Zealanders. Ways of completely misunderstanding each other. You know, we all speak English, <coughs> divided by a common language. <laughs> <laughs> and we think we're all kind of, uh, you know, we, the assumption, at least from the American side, we tend to think we're all, you know, think the same way. But then you realize that culturally, a very different kind of expectation of life and way of re- reacting to things, very different say, between, say, English uh, people and Americans. Well, this can be a very irritating uh, experience if, you, if you're just operating from, you know, um, the way we do it is right and, and you've got it wrong, you know, kind of conceit. It comes from, uh, you know, holding to your own own particular way of living as somehow the right way. But we we we're seen through these these kind of conceits and attachments to cultural identity and and race and gender, too. And one way of doing this is through metta bhavana. Because of metta, it's, it's accepting, it's being patient, it's, it's the unconditional love. It's not conditioned by, I love you if you start acting the way that I think you should. Or, 
I'll love you if you if you drop your your American ways or I'll love you when you start behaving yourself or when you start acting in the way that it doesn't frustrate me or take me anymore then I'll love you it's conditioned unconditional love means to accept the whole lot the warts the flaws the disease the 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 whole the whole thing Accepting doesn't mean liking. It's not, we're not asking anybody to, to like something that, that is unlikable. Or you, but one can accept and not dwell, not, not create this aversion in one's mind. To create aversion, you know, like if I see something, if I see some, some flaw here, see a spot on the carpet or something, and I can think, I don't like that. I wish that weren't here. I could get obsessed by it. Just by this little thing here, the staple or something there. I could spend the whole evening. I'm not going to sit on this anymore if they don't change. Get a better kind of... uh, Or if I've met her, then mm, I'm aware of it. And if it irritates me, I'm aware I've met her for the irritation that I'm feeling. I mean, I'm not really irritated by this, Jenna. (laughs) (laughs) Searching for an example. But the... uh, (laughs) But the... The... The metta also, if, if if I see something that does irritate me, to have metta for my for that for my for that feeling of irritation. I mean, I, I'm accepting this irritating feeling. I'm not making any problem about it. It's like this. In community life, it's so easy to get blown away by the issues and problems of people that have very strong sense of what's right and what what isn't. And in, in the religious life, you do. You can get very self-righteous. So you have people that have very strong views about this is right and this is what we have to do and that person is wrong. And we, and, and and you can, you know, it's oftentimes it's true in a way. They're wrong and this one's right. But in that... In that... Uh, Getting attached to what's right is uh, uh, the metta is not operating anymore because that attachment to being right is, means we've got to get rid of what's wrong rather than a metta for what's wrong. So you can see in in name of religion how many harmful things can be done out of righteousness, out of the you know, sense of we're right and we've got to. Uh, destroy what's wrong, burn the witches, kill the heretics, and so forth. Purify the religion. All these are quite moving statements. Isn't it? We've got to protect the purity of Buddhism. Uh, 
And then somebody says, you know, I heard some monk the other day saying something that to me was not Dhamma. It sounded more like, sounded more like Vedanta or something like that. <laughs> or it could have been Mahayana. It wasn't. And uh, we've got to stop it. It's creeping in. The purity of Theravada will be ruined. <laughs> I've heard people talk like that. You know, our tradition is pure, and and uh, and that we've got to, you know, destroy anything that threatens that purity. Well, what is that anyway? Is that that is based on the on an illusion of purity and a, an attachment to an idea of purity and of what's right. But when you're in this, using mindfulness as a means, then you're aware of, of like, when I, when I feel right about something, and, I'm, and then I'm angry about somebody that's doing something wrong, if I really watch my own attachment to being right, is that a peaceful state? Is that really purity? Is that, or is that suffering? And when I get in on my high horse of righteousness and the I'm right, when I really observe that feeling of being right, it's, it's quite an unpleasant mental state. Because it, it, it kind of feeds the ego, a sense of my self-importance, the stubbornness. I'm, gonna, I'm standing up for what's right. I'm not going to give in to the evil horses. And uh, one can get very full of one's own, own uh, self-importance and views about what's right. But in the reflective state you know, that we use for meditation and in the t- practicing of metta, we realize when I want to destroy evil and get rid of the bad things and and uh, and all that then then that is based on the sense of myself wanting to to get rid of something I don't like so that's the kind of desire to get rid of vipovadana So instead of this following this desire, then we have this met practices metta, which is being able to bear with, to accept the wrong, the injustice, the, the flaws, the, the bad things. And in that willingness to, to, uh, to accept in this way of unconditional love, then, then we, we're not creating the conditions for perpetuating those those kind of conditions. We're actually allowing what is wrong, like anger, for example. When I accept the anger I'm feeling, and with metta, with unconditional love, then it, it, it then that in that very acceptance and patience and willingness to feel that anger and let it be what it is, then the anger ceases. Like I'm liberating that being, that miserable thing. 
So to me, it's like a liberation, actually something that is quite a miserable state. In a miserable state, like say the anger in my mind, I feel angry. And just by totally accepting it unconditionally, then it naturally kind of, it's impermanent and it ceases on its own. And it's kind of, it's the sense of liberation from misery is then the result of that. Like in, in one can look at it as having liberated this, this angry being, liberating this, this miserable being through accepting it. So it's, it's freed from this, from this state of misery. So one can see it in terms of compassion even. Anyway, this is something to, to reflect upon and try out in your own practice of, of meditation. Just to, to see, to, you know, don't believe what I'm saying, but, but what I'm saying is to, to uh, for you to maybe take an interest in using this as a skillful means. I found it, uh, a, a, you know, a, a wonderful uh, discovery in a way that 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 uh, that is truly liberating for me, for my own uh, negativity. And it keeps growing as I, over the years, this this metta isn't just a temporary uh, kind of experience, but as I, you know, it one feels. It's it, it, how one relates to the to the conditioned realm. More and more, not always the successful at it. Sometimes easy to drop back the old, and something really triggers off some strong emotion. That you must. That's why mindfulness. Be prepared for all contingencies, even after years, meditation. Something's going to happen that'll that'll really upset you, even after thirty years, forty years. Remember this romantic idea of, of meditation when I first ordained. Thinking, spend a few years med- really intensively meditating. And I'll understand it, and then I'll be free from all this. And the rest of my life, I'll just kind of sail along in a state of bliss. <laughs> and I dedicate these first five years and really get it, and then the rest of my life will be just a kind of smooth sailing. <laughs> Nothing will ever bother me. But then it's not the way it is. And in uh, this is why this, this preparedness, like the Boy Scouts, be prepared. <laughs> be And also things unfold in a way that you, you, 
you think you, uh, some things you don't see, we all have blind spots that, things that we can't see on our own, in in our own mind, which then will maybe through through uh, somebody else's uh, admonishment or feedback, we'll, we'll get some perspective on. So in community life, living together in community, we're also subject to other people telling us, you know, how irritating we are. <laughs> and we think we're being really charming and lovable. You know? find out that you're really driving them up the walls. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) Or certain emotions that uh, that that one one somehow, you know, once you, like I found with me, uh, resentment was was an emotion that somehow I didn't quite see very clearly for years. Uh, like, uh, for quite a long time here in England, I felt there was an underlying resentment that I wasn't, wasn't aware of at all, and yet I meditate every day. And then it became apparent. So suddenly I, beca- I really saw this, this, this resentment of you know, having to is a, a kind of resentment of having to be uh, in this position all the time. And it'd come out like I would, I feel, I'd start complaining. I think, oh, I'm, I've had enough, I need a rest. It'd be like that. And, uh, or you can, people expect too much of me. You know, they just, they just, uh, I need a sabbatical. <laughs> or you find yourself being, you know, really irritated when everybody, uh, you know, you're, you're tired and everybody's expecting you to say something wise and then you, you <laughs> 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 and you, you're thinking, very unwise thoughts. <laughs> but then once, well, but once uh, and it surprised me that I didn't see it because it, was so, it seemed so obvious now, but, but the fact that I did actually uh, have an insight into it and through going into that feeling of resentment with this attitude of metta for the feeling itself. It wasn't like trying to, to, to have an, a metta relationship with, with resentment. It wasn't like trying to kind of whitewash it, but really, really feeling it, really uh, being patient with this feeling of resentment. And then it drops. I don't have that feeling now. Because it's something that I, I could really I've, uh, you know, I've resolved through skillful means. It's not not suppressed. It's not uh, dismissed, denied, but it's 
if I do feel resentment, now I know if, if, if there, that emotion arises, I'm, I'm fully aware of it. I know what it feels like when, when it, if, if that kind of emotion does arise in my mind. Because I've studied it, I know it, I've felt it. I, something you really become an expert. Know what resentment really is, what it feels like. Then in uh, community life where you're having to, where people have conflicts and different interests and, and we project a lot onto each other. We, we're always, the one thing with Western people is we're very good at kind of having, uh, like, by, by, by in America we call being a two-bit psychologist. The American term. But it's like, having a kind of superficial, kind of pop, banal version of psychology and then and go around kind of psychoanalyzing everybody. <laughs> she's a, she's a, a, a kind of a passive-aggressive type or he has a mother complex or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the community here, we have, we have a lot of these kind of two-bit psychologists. <laughs> and, uh, and that I find irritating. <laughs> I, I have developed meta for two-bit psychology. But it's in, it's in uh, the conditioned w- world, the, the all-conditioned phenomena is, um, you know, includes every, everything that you can think of, and the, from, the, uh, from the range of the good to the, to the bad, right and wrong, the whole, the whole gamut from A to Z of every possible variation, permutation, on creation, on existence, on phenomena, on subtle or, or coarse. And so is metta, so it's, uh, the, the, is, uh, is being able to ex- the totality of phenomena for what it is. It even includes pollution and plastic and, and uh, um, nuclear power and, and uh, all the things that we think are unnatural. And you get these people interested in, in nature and what's natural and they, 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 and they, they, have, they get very violently against uh, Things like plastic, or or um, industrial waste, or uh, smog, or anything like, that. and they get very kind of intensely averse and angry around um, the the nastiness, the the failure, the the ugliness, the sickness. <laughs> 
of our society. But metta includes, will include all of it, you know. All its perverse, all its corrupt, sleaze, uh, mean, nasty, shouldn't be at all, unfairness, as well as it's the opposite. Now, now some of you are probably thinking, you mean we're going to have metta for, for sleaze? <laughs> well, the toy party all think did have a lot of metta for sleaze. <laughs> We're hoping the Labour Party isn't, doesn't have so much metta. But <laughs> that's not, I don't mean metta in the sense of, of, of a kind of passive indifference or, or, or a kind of uh, defensiveness about it. But it's, uh, it's much more profound than that. It's a, it's a patience and willingness to, to accept something for what it is, so that in that state of awareness and patience, then we can respond to situations in a much, in a, in a skillful and wise way, rather than just complaining, blaming, uh, trying to endlessly uh, just... Uh, cause even more problems by, by trying to, to uh, punish and uh, blame and, and that through, uh, through our own hatred and aversion, our anger and our resentment. So by recognizing the totality, then we can we, we can actually let go of that totality. So the liberation, as realization of Nibbana, is through non-attachment, and through realizing the cessation. Which is the, uh, to be realized individually for oneself, that, that realization of Nibbana. So when we do spread metta, then we, you notice we, we even share the blessings of our life with the demons in Buddhism. Amazing, isn't it? May the blessing of my life benefit, may be a blessing to the demons. But when you, even logically that makes sense, because you realize that the demons are beings that have no blessings, so they they be more demonic. It increases their their demonic tendencies. The fact that nobody shares their blessings with them, but once you start sharing your blessings with the evil forces, then that evilness is is, is no longer reinforced. There's compassion, loving kindness. You might say a demon is a being that 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 has you know there's no blessings in its life. So we we do have well in in uh, traditional Buddhism we have we share say blessings with hungry ghosts or with the with the abhyapum with all the demonic forms the the miserable creatures the hell 
hell creatures in hell and all that. So on this retreat, I, I encourage this practice of metta as a both in its kind of, uh, you know, externally, but also as a way of relating to your own irritating habits. Like Afonso, there's certain things that I don't like to think, or when they creep into consciousness, certain negative states that I don't want. I don't like, I resist. So then I, once I start noticing this resistance and I develop this metta, kind of welcoming, embracing this, this, this kind of unwanted negative state. And it can be quite subtle in, in this way. Just by that welcoming approach, this metta, and then, then that resistance stops, because that's the suffering. It's always trying to control, get rid of, resist, manipulating a situation, trying to to get rid of the irritating emotion or the, the negative state that you, you've come here for a nice peaceful retreat and the last thing you want is to be stuck with some nasty mental state or emotion. Get rid of it. And the more you do that, the more you attach to it. Just that very active resistance is a form of attaching. It's attaching to it. The upadana. So by accepting it, you're not you're not attaching to it anymore. It's it's accepted, and then it can it can leave. It can be liberated. Interesting that some some monks that have disagreed with me, they, not not here in England, but in Thailand, some of the monks, not the Thai ones either, but the Western ones, they think they still think in a, a very dualistic way. Like if you let demons in, they'll take you over. But the more you fight the demons, the more you know, for me, this is my experience, the more I resist and fight and control negativity, the, the, more, the more power it has over me. But when I have metta for it, then it's the power of, those, of that negative force. It, I'm, not, I'm not empowering it anymore. But this is something you have to find out for yourself in, in your own experience, and that's not on the level of of language. It, it you know you can understand it, but the actual using of this ubaya or this skillful means is to see what 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 kind of result you have. It's changing your attitude uh, instead of this attitude of getting rid of denial, resistance, 
annihilation to metta to unconditional love and what what is the result and then you know for yourself you can see for yourself whether it's true or not so I offer this for your reflection Thamma ka tha sa thukha rang ka tha ma se